the highest of heights to the depths of the sea. And David mourned for Saul and certainly Jonathan, but I wonder if his men felt the same way. You know, I can understand David's heart, but think of his men around him. They didn't have the same feelings and the same heart as David did. They wanted to put an end to it at the, in, the, uh, in the cave at En Gedi, remember. They were ready to take care of business for David. He didn't even have to do anything. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Out of pure jealousy, hatred, spite, and ungodliness, Saul took away David's family, home, career, security, and the best years of David's life. And Saul was utterly unrepentant to the end. Yet David mourned and wept and fasted when he learned of Saul's death. This contrast powerfully demonstrates that our hatred, bitterness, and unforgiveness are chosen, not imposed on us. As much as Saul did against David, he chose to become better instead of bitter. Now here's Pastor Rob with today's lesson. And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, Melchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle became fierce against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. And then Saul said to his armor-bearer, you remember this, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. And therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons, his armor-bearer, and all his men died together that same day. Do you see a difference with what this man was saying? And there really isn't a discrepancy because you can really put the two events together. You remember when we read the Gospels, sometimes you'll read um, in in a parallel account maybe a, a few details that are a little different than maybe one of the other parallel accounts. Like Matthew may cover uh, a, 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 an event that happened, and, and Mark will record the same event, but one will have some information a little bit more than the other one, or vice versa. But when you put the two of them together, they fit seamlessly like a jigsaw puzzle. I believe this is one of those times. And there are people who disagree. They think that the, that the man is um, uh, lying and that he, he died for his lie. I think if... Um, as we, we saw with the young man who was going to kill this Amalekite, I would imagine that as he pulled out his sword and began to come near him, if it wasn't the truth, I would just fess up to it right then and there. I'd just say, you know what, I didn't do it. I just wanted to gain um, an audience with you, King David. 
I just wanted to be uh, kind of ingratiated to you. But he didn't do that. And so the, the man died. So there are two ways that we can reconcile these three accounts. And First Chronicles chapter 10 basically tells us exactly what First Samuel 31 tells us. So there's two ways we can reconcile this. Either the Malachite was fabricating the story to ingratiate himself or curry favor with David, or the event here in 2 Samuel chapter 1 occurred after Saul fell on his sword. And if you put the two together, you can see how that can happen. His first, his armor, you know, Saul is hit with the arrows. He's, he's going to die. He knows he's going to die. He tells his armor bearer, thrust me through. He won't do it. So Saul falls on the sword himself and he's unconscious, at least for a moment, or at least his armor-bearer thinks he's dead, so he does the same thing. He dies, and then this Amalekite comes along and sees Saul there, still kind of alive but not quite dead yet. And so he finishes it, based on Saul's you know, desire. So that could have very well happened too. But either way, it doesn't really matter. There's really no discrepancy there, I don't believe, if you put the two of those things together. What I find interesting about this is that Saul failed to kill the Amalekites. You remember in chapter 15? The one thing that God wanted Saul to do was to obey him. And he told him in in 1 Samuel 15, I want you to wipe out all the Amalekites. Because of what they did when the children of Israel came out out of Egypt and when they were on their way to the Promised Land, because of what they did to them, I want you to wipe them all out. And remember, Saul did not do it. He saved Agag. He saved the best of all the things. He didn't do a full end of it. And it's interesting how now an Amalekite is the one putting him to death. It's kind of like a... Uh, justice, I guess. It, it, it's just kind of ironic that that would come out that way. And, and little did the Amalekite know that as he is talking to David, he thought David would be really excited about hearing that his arch enemy, which as far as David was concerned, Saul wasn't an enemy to him, but David was an enemy to Saul. David respected Saul, even though he was hunted by him. David had a whole different heart about him. He respected the office because God had anointed him through Samuel. And he's like, I'm not going to have anything to do with this man. I'm not going to harm him. He respected God and God's choice and putting him there and allowing him to be there. David, and I love this about him, it just shows you the character of the man. He wasn't going to have anything to do with Saul's death. And as you read through what we've just read through and what we're going to read through tonight, you'll realize that David had literally his hands were completely clean of putting Saul to death. He had nothing whatsoever to do about it. Remember, he had a couple of opportunities to do it prior, but he did not do it. He even forbid his men to do it. In fact, he wouldn't even put his hand on the Lord's anointed. And he said this. He made this proclamation uh, a number of times in 1 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 6. Also in verse 10, in 1 Samuel chapter 26, verses 9 through 11, and also in verse 16 and 23 of that 26th chapter, he said the same thing. I am not going to put my hand against the Lord's anointed. And unfortunately, this man's words would bring out his, his own demise. But 1 Chronicles chapter 10, in the last two verses, tells us that ultimately God was responsible for Saul's death. 
Even though the Amalekite, God, it was God who did that. Let me read it to you. It's First Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13 and 14. It says, Saul died and for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord. Notice, because he did not keep the word of the Lord, that was concerning the, the, the situation with the Amalekites in chapter 15. But he did not inquire, or, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance, which was um, a, a her- heresy, right? He wasn't supposed to do that. But in verse 14 it says, But he did not inquire of the Lord, therefore he killed him. God. Yes. God killed him. That's never an easy thing to hear. But God allowed that to happen. He allowed it to happen and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Now look at verse 11 in our text tonight. It says, Therefore David took hold of his own clothes, and as the custom was, he would tear them. And and, and remember, as this Amalekite is coming to him, this is the first time he's hearing of this. Again, they didn't have cell phones. He had waited there three days. The battle had been done at least a day or so, maybe two days, maybe three days. And now he's just getting word of it for the first time. And he's hearing it from a so-called eyewitness. And so David is distraught. He tears his clothes. And remember, he and his men have been running around Israel trying to escape this madman. And now they've been liberated and vindicated by God, but still... They had the heart to mourn instead of rejoice and have a party. (laughs) Again, David never looked at Saul as an enemy, but Saul looked at David as an enemy. And David mourned for Saul and certainly Jonathan, but I wonder if his men felt the same way. You know, I can understand David's heart, but think of his men around him. They didn't have the same feelings and the same heart as David did. They wanted to put an end to it at the, in, the, uh, in the cave at En Gedi, remember. They were ready to take care of business for David. He didn't even have to do anything. And so I wonder now, you know, that they, they tear their clothes in like manner as their leader does. And I just think of the, the, the wonderful camaraderie and, that David had with these men and the way they looked up to him. You know, and what an effect one person can have on a group of people. You know, a man of integrity. Certainly David had his moments, his failings, but overall, the men admired him. He was a great military leader. He was a great musician. He had a a good head about him, with the exception of a couple moments. We looked at that in the last few chapters of the previous book. But they admired David, and I wonder if they felt the same thing. I really do. But they did it anyway. They mourned. David's son, Solomon, would later write in Proverbs 24, verse 17. It says this, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. And that's a really wonderful thing for us as Christians to consider. You know, because God does not delight in the death of the wicked. He never does. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so when we joyfully rejoice over someone that has died, we've got to be really careful. As Christians, we ought to be careful not to rejoice. And yet we have done that. I know that I have done that. You know, when you hear of a terrorist, a world-renowned terrorist... 
you know, there, there's a part of me that rejoiced inside. And then, you know, um, so we have to be really careful of that. But even your people around you, you know, when, they, when you see them falling or maybe they're not your friend anymore. Maybe there was some kind of falling out between you and somebody else. And you see them go through some calamity and deep inside you're kind of like, oh, they got theirs. You know, we've got to be really careful of our hearts in that. Because that really doesn't honor the Lord, does it? And I've, I've been guilty of it, honestly. And so um, I'll point the finger right back at me uh, as I read that, and that, that hurts. But it's something that we really need to consider. You know, and how do you respond when your enemy or somebody hurts you? You know, and then you hear about justice or something happening to them. And in your mind, you're thinking, ah, God got them, you know. Or he brought them to justice, you know. It's easy for us to do that, but... Again, we have to be careful. Proverbs 17, verse 5 says, He who mocks the poor reproaches his maker, and he who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. So it's something that we really ought to be concerned about. Obadiah, in Obadiah chapter 1, verse 12, God, through the prophet, is speaking to Edom and um, the, the, the country of Edom and its people. And it says, But you should have not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. And so the Lord got on their case for rejoicing when, when, the, in the, when the children of Israel were taken captive. And he, um, so God takes that very seriously, and so ought we as well. So back in our text, notice in verse 12, it says that they mourned and they wept. You know, you think that those two terms are, are synonymous, but, you know, when you mourn, you know, you can weep, and then you can mourn, you know, and it takes time. And, I, you know, just hearing David's heart in all of this, you know, David respected Saul, and he loved his son, Jonathan. They were like two peas in a pod. They were just so close together. And if you've ever lost a best friend like that, you know the pain and the anguish that that can be. And um, so they mourned and they wept and they fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Notice, this is the amazing part of David's character that I really love. Because later in his reign, this kind of heart got him almost in a lot of trouble with his own people. Turn with me to Second Samuel chapter 18. Second Samuel chapter 18. And this obviously is going forward in time when Absalom is killed. But as we read this, you, you see David's heart again on display, and it's, it's a really good heart. I mean, Absalom was not only his son, but he was also his foe because he was trying to overthrow his father. But notice what happened. It says that then the king, and this is in verse 33, that the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate, and he wept uh, when he heard about uh, Absalom's death. And as he went, he said thus, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. Now this is the guy, the son, who was going to overthrow him, but notice David's heart. Oh, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son. And Joab was told, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. And so the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. 
because he'd driven David out of Jerusalem. All the, the royal family is moving out of Jerusalem. They cross the Kidron Valley up the Mount of Olives, and they're going to be moving away. And so when Absalom was killed, you know, everyone is rejoicing. Now we can go back home again. <laughs> and so Joab says, The king is grieved for his son, and the people stole back into the city that day as people who are ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. But the king recovered his face, and the king cried out with a loud voice, Oh, my son Absalom. So he's really grieving for his son. And then Joab came to him and is angry with him. And he, and, uh, he came into the, king, uh, into the house to the king, and he said, Today you have disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life, David. The lives of your sons, your daughters, the lives of your wives, the lives of your concubines, and that you love your enemies and hate your friends. Your son is trying to overthrow you. Now that he's dead, you can go back into your kingdom. You're, you're, you're mourning over him, and you're forgetting about the, the, the joy for the rest of the people. For you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. Now therefore arise and go and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night. And that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. (laughs) So notice... That they not only weep for Saul and Jonathan, but also for the people of God. Because the people of God were defeated by their perennial enemy, the Philistines. And the Philistines were known for their chariots, their iron chariots. And as they were battling Israel up in Aphek in the valley of Jezreel, which you and I would know as the valley of Armageddon, we visit that place when we go to Israel. It's a very flat place, perfect place for a battle. When you see it, you're going to be like, wow. It really is breathtaking. But they're in that, and they have iron chariots. And when, you're on, when you have an iron chariot on a flat surface, you've got the clear advantage over everybody. And they really knew how to make iron, the Philistines. The Jews hadn't really perfected it. They really didn't know it. But the Philistines really knew what they were doing and all of that. And so they're, they're mourning because of all of this. And it was a national tragedy Remember back in 1 Samuel chapter 4 when the Israelites were going into battle. And what do they do? They get the idea that, hey, let's, let's go get the Ark of the, uh, of the Covenant. Let's go to Shiloh and get the Ark of the Covenant and take that into battle with us. And then it will work for us. Like it's going to be our, our lucky charm. It's going to be our rabbit's foot in our pocket that we can rub, hoping that maybe God will deliver And what happens? The army loses and the ark gets stolen by the Philistines. Same kind of moment right here. This is a national tragedy for them. And David was very selfless here because he wasn't just rejoicing. He wasn't rejoicing at all over Saul's death. What were they rejoicing or what were they mourning over? Saul and Jonathan and for the people of the Lord, the people of Israel. Why would he do that? Because he was a man after God's own heart. And what is important to God but his people? Paul, in the book of Acts, wrote this as he was preaching at the synagogue at Antioch. He was basically giving them a Bible study. 
And he said, When God had removed Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. See, David really cared about people. Here he is on the day of of his deliverance, and instead of having a big party, he's mourning. He's mourning over these two men, and he's mourning over now his... The people of Israel have lost their first king. I mean, this is a big deal nationally. And David respected that authority. He respected that authority. And see, that is a hallmark of a great leader. And as a shepherd, which David was, he was very sensitive to this predicament. In Psalm 76, in verse 68, it says, uh, and this is a psalm of Asaph, and, and, and God is speaking here. He says, but I chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved, and he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth that, has, that he has established forever. He also chose David, his servant, notice, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes that had young he brought him, to shepherd Jacob, his people, And Israel is inheritance. And so he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. And he guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. And this is the heart of David. That's why he's mourning for the people. Because they are like sheep without a shepherd. They are like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, if you remember, in Matthew 9... It says that Jesus went all around the city. This is in chapter 9, verse 35. He went all around the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But notice what it says in verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, not having a shepherd. And so the very heart of Jesus is the very heart of David. He looked around at Israel and thought to himself, you know what, this is not a day for rejoicing, guys. Our country just lost their first king. And all the people of Israel are like sheep without a shepherd. And David as a shepherd, it just, it's like it just kicked into him. And you know, I think about us, you know, in the country we live in. You know, we live in a country... There's a lot of people out there. They're like sheep without a shepherd, right? The world doesn't care for them. The world will abuse them and use them up and spit them out. The enemy will use them, abuse them. But Jesus wants to touch their lives and make them whole and heal them and bless them. And see, that's what we ought to be. We are shepherds in a sense. Ask God to give you that shepherd's heart to be going after people and to see them in their distress and and be moved with compassion for those around you. Amen? Because that's, that's, that's a good thing. That's the kind of heart we need. That's the kind of heart that I want. I want my heart to continually be going in that direction. So verse 13, it says, Then David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? And he said, I'm the son of an alien, a Malachite. Now, the man was probably hoping for some kind of special privilege from David by saying that he was an alien, the son of, you know, I'm the son of an alien, an Amalekite. He was probably hoping for some special privileges.
I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.